Welcome back. If you want to follow me on my Instagram, it's Bernard German Official. If you want to subscribe to my YouTube channel, it's Bernard German. So in the last episode, I talked about my medical history and some of my surgeries. And so I wanted to go more in depth with this episode. So. I said that I was adopted in China at two and a half, and I had some hearing loss on my right ear, and because of that, I had this like cyst, and because of the cyst, it was eating at the three bones that make people hear out of your ears. Luckily for me, it wasn't that bad. I did have to wear a hearing aid when I was in elementary, and because of that, wearing the hearing aid, my wax buildup would be built more quicker and faster. So I had to get my ears cleaned out more more than I usually needed to have. I used to have eustachian tubes in both of my ears because of my holes in my eardrums, and actually. My right one fell out during a cleaning my ears. So that was actually kind of surprising to see that it was actually like a baby blue little plastic tube and it just like fell out and I was like so shocked and was like honestly like happy that I got to like finally see what was inside my ear. When I was nine years old in second grade, I had my first real surgery that I can remember as I look back through all the surgeries that I went through and what it was was a bone graft and the surgeon took a little piece of bone from my left hip and he put it up in my top jaw. The recovery actually wasn't so bad compared to all my other surgery recoveries I mean, it was still hard, but the only thing that I really hated about it was the liquid diet that I was on, because if you've ever had mac and cheese blended up in a blender or eggs or pizza dip or like anything that is food, like solid food that is blended up in a blender, it tastes so freaking bad. So moving on to my second real surgery that I can remember, that was in quotations, was in August of 28, no, August 28, 2014. I still can't believe that I still remember the day. Like, I don't know why or how I still remember it. I just do. And that surgery was very, very traumatic, and it literally changed my life. For the worst, I'm not being very dramatic. It is literally the truth. So with this surgery, he put two little, uh, not two, little, I meant like two normal sized large metal rods into my head on each side. And my mom had to take this metal screw type of thing and put it in the metal rods hole and twist it three times clockwise every single day and i believe it was maybe like a month or so i kind of don't remember but i know it was a long time for me and it was super painful and 
let me say, I hope to God you never have to feel that pain because I cried every single morning. My mom had to do it. I dreaded it every single day. And luckily, in October, I was able to get those removed. So yay me! But we couldn't tell if whether it was in August or October is when I got mono. During that time of recovering, I was only eating pasta, and I had to be put on this drink called Boost since I wasn't eating anything else besides pasta, and I actually like lost about like twenty pounds. I was around like ninety pounds or so, and then I like almost got to like seventy pounds. Which was severely underweight, but you couldn't tell by like looking at me that I lost like twenty pounds. So that was like a ginormous problem. Moving forward to the new year of two thousand fifteen, I'm pretty sure it that's when I decided to get a sleep study done to figure out what was wrong with me. So we did one. And the tests basically said I was narcoleptic, although I kind of don't exactly remember it since I wasn't the one reading it, and it was my mom. So from what I can tell, from what my mom said was, it said that I was narcoleptic, and then since I wasn't clearly, we wanted to try a CPAP machine for. Insomnia, and clearly that did not work for me. And then later on in the summer of 2015, I believe it was like June or July when I had my yearly checkup, and my mom was saying to my primary care doctor, like, "Hey, she's having this problem," and we decided to get some tests done. And he said, "Oh, I had mono." I don't know how long I had it, but I know for a fact it was probably like almost a year of it being undiagnosed. Maybe I only had it for like a couple months. Maybe I didn't, but all I know it is that. Sorry, all I know is that I still had very long-lasting effects. I believe so because my sleep schedule is out of whack to this day as I'm recording this. So because of that, I just was sleeping so wrong. Like, oh my gosh, I was sleeping not good. Like, how I was sleeping was one night I would wake up at like twelve or maybe two o'clock or maybe three o'clock in the middle of the night, and I would go downstairs. Well, sorry, I would go upstairs. I was living in the basement. I would go upstairs. Into the kitchen, and then I would cook myself some pasta, and then I would stay awake for like hours, long hours, and then I would crash immediately and stay asleep until like the next morning, basically, and I would do it all over again. Yay me! And it was crazy. I don't know how I was able to do that. It was just like. Somehow my body was just like so tired, but also like so sick, and I was also so freaking depressed as time went on and on. So in August of two thousand fifteen, I went to this 
homeschool group thing for a bunch of homeschoolers and it was an acting class but you can do more than acting classes it was like a bunch of things you could do so i chose to do an acting class it was fine i really liked it i enjoyed it so flash forward to november of that year it was a monday i was watching dancing with the stars i love that freaking show it's the best so one night we're going to talk about poop i'm so sorry we're going to get very detailed into the poop part so i went to the bathroom and i pooped and the thing for me is that i do not have a normal poop schedule meaning i do not poop every single day nor once like nor every other day nor every couple of days i poop when my body says hello it's time for you to go to the bathroom and poop so i did that and my stomach was in so much pain and i was like mom i don't know why my stomach is hurting so bad and my mom's like well when did you last poop and i was like saying oh i don't know when i last poop i can't keep track so we thought my mom thought it was constipation so we tried enemas and Miralax and all those things just to try to make yourself poop at home and then i believe in the 2016 year we went to a gi doctor and for the gi doctor we did an endoscopy and he couldn't find anything what was wrong with my stomach and he basically told my mom she's like lying which i did not find that out until years later i thought he was a good doctor to be honest i liked him but we never went back there after the endoscopy was done moving on past that we were still dealing with my stomach problems so then into august of 2016 august or like september i think is when my stomach started like really ramping up like it was hurting but like i was starting to like I, my stomach was in so much pain that I could not go to the acting class. I did not want to move out of my bed. It was that painful. Like, eating was so painful. I didn't know what was wrong still. So, sadly, nothing was working. And then we moved to December of 2016. My mom, my dad, and me went to Washington, D.C. because there was a doctor who could help me figure out what was wrong with me because my mom thought it was pans or pandas. And eventually I did find out that I do have pandas. But back to that time, we were just figuring out what is wrong with her. So then moving fast forward to March 5th, 2017 is where I had an IVIG. Warning, if it does sound like I'm reading off a paper, it is because I am in fact doing that. So what an IVIG stands for is an intravenous, can't say that word, immune globulin. I also cannot say that word either. It's basically a trans fusing with a donor's blood but without the actual blood meaning in the immune goblin is a substance made from the human's blood 
plasma. The plasma processed from donated human blood contains antibodies that protect the body against diseases. It was only my mom and I going for two days, and I actually did have an allergic reaction. I don't know exactly to what, but I just did. But luckily, I was able to get that calmed down with the extra dosage of Benadryl. But this one was more different than your normal Benadryl because this one literally made me fall asleep like in two point seconds. Not actually, but like I literally could feel myself feeling the effects of like this the medicine of like sleepiness. I was like, I want to go to bed so bad. I was just so freaking tired. Like as soon as it entered my bloodstream, in that month, I'm pretty sure it was my mom's mom, my nana, broke. Her hip because she fell down, and then I believe either that month we flew out to Texas because she had surgery. I'm pretty sure, and then we flew back home, and then in May, I'm pretty sure is when we flew back out to Texas because my mom's dad, my papa, had hernia surgery. So during that time. When we were out there in Texas, my IVIG started to wear off because it like lasted about like a month to maybe like three months or so, basically. And my mom had a phone call with the Washington D.C. doctor, and she said, "Hey, how is it going?" And my mom said, "Well, the effects of it is kind of starting to wear off of her body," and she was like. Well, some patients do tend to need a second round of IVIG. Which isn't a problem, but I will say it is super duper expensive because you're counting the flights, you're counting the hotel and food, but also because the actual procedure is not covered by insurance, specifically for our insurance that we had in the back of the in the back and back of the day. I don't think I'm saying that terminology correctly, but you know what I mean. Insurance didn't cover it. Maybe now they do it, but I probably doubt it because they don't tend to cover a lot of things that you need. In July of 2017, we had to. My mom and I had to go back. To Texas because my papa was was dying, and then when it became August of that year and to September, that's when Hurricane Harvey happened, and my mom's brother sadly passed. So we had to go back to Texas for the funeral, and so we drove there with the RV because we were taking. My nana back home with us to take care of her because she was so old. Um, that sounds to me, but she was old, and we were taking care of her until she passes on. So during that time, my health was kind of on a back burner, but also because we scheduled an appointment during. October of that year, so before we even knew the hurricane was happening. A little backstory before we go to this doctor in October, which was in Tennessee. We went to this completely other doctor that's where we live for like one time, and what 
I had to do was give a little piece of my hair. She cut a tiny piece. And then I think she took like a blood sample or something like that, maybe. Or maybe it was just the hair only to figure out if I had any metals in my body or if I was like allergic to them just since I was in China and you know in China you don't really exactly know what the heck's happening to you any kids basically. We did a test called the Cunningham panel test and we waited for quite a while but luckily we got the results back but we would have had to do a phone call with that doctor, but it was going to be pretty damn expensive. So luckily, the doctor in Tennessee was able to give us the results and tell us what it meant. And it basically meant that I have Lyme's disease. Since it was, since it was undiagnosed and we don't know exactly how long it has been inside my body, whether it was from China or like recently when I was home in America. So I just have chronic Lyme's disease. When we met with the Tennessee doctor, I had to get 16 bottles of blood filled up and that was a lot. But we did have six more, but the doctor was saying, eh, we should probably wait when you go home because uh, it was 16. And I don't know if you've ever had to get 16 blood vials of blood out of your body, but that was like a lot. Like, let me tell you, it was so much just looking at all those like bottles. It was like, whoa. So we drove back that same day. And I had to get my tooth taken out. And then the next week, we had to go to any lab test now. And I had to do this on a specific day because these aren't just any kind of blood work. Like when you get them ordered by your regular doctor, they have to be shipped off on the same day once you get them done. Yes, I was reading that offered a piece of paper. So then I had to do a during test and then one I couldn't do because we didn't have like this two pills to go with the second test. So I had to do it on November 1st of 2017 and I couldn't drink a lot after 6 p.m. the night before or during eight hours after I woke up because they didn't want to dilute the pee. <laughs> Sorry, that made me <laughs> I then took those two pills in order to take the test, which I still don't exactly understand what it was, to be honest. So then I peed in the cup, as you normally do, and then my mom had to pour it in a big orange container, then put it in the freezer until next time. I know, it's crazy. I waited until it was almost 1.30 p. 1.30 p.m. to pee again and it took a while because I didn't have a lot of fluids in me at that time because I still couldn't drink. Uh, let's see. Then I peed and my mom had to do it all over again, pour it in the container and put it back into the freezer until it gets shipped off to the lab like last time. Both urine tests had to be completed on the same day. The instructions required it to do so. 
Obviously, we took it very seriously because we wanted answers, and that was the only way you could get them. Moving forward to December 5th, 2017, my mom and I and the Tennessee doctor had a Skype call, and he said he wanted to give me some tests and a breath test to see if I have SIBO, S-I-B-O, which is called Small Intestine Bacteria Overgrowth. Moving forward to January 20th, 2018. I'll be reading off my piece of paper again. Sibo is a tricky little guy, and even endoscopies and colonoscopies can't really dig deep enough to get you an answer. Now you can stool test. So how the heck do you even figure it out? You have to test your breath. The hydrogen breath test is the most common and accurate SIBO testing method at this time. And for bonus points, it's not at all invasive. Here's how the hydrogen breath test works. The hydrogen breath test detects two gases, hydrogen and methane, in your breath. These gases are produced by humans, but bacteria in the small intestine as they ferment the sugar from carbohydrates. These gases are released into the blood, sent to the lungs, and and exhaled through the breath, which is why a breath test can detect SIBO. As you remember, the small intestine is only meant to be the site of new, I can't say the word, nutrient absorption, nor can I say that word either, not the stage of digestion where food is fermented. That's a large intestine's job. Therefore, if hydrogen and methane are detected in your breath, it means there's bacteria present in your small intestine that's breaking down carbs before they can make it to your large intestine. This could indicate you have SIBO. Why am I saying hydrogen? If you hear my dogs barking, I'm sorry. It is 7.36 a.m. I'm trying to record this as best as I can. Fast forward to June 8th, 2018. My mom and I flew to Boston, Massachusetts for a doctor visit for my future surgeries. It's a consultation to check out my jaw, lip, and knows the surgeon who was going to do my jaw surgery said she wanted to do that first to see where my lip and nose would be at then she wanted to do another bone graft and another leafort for my fistula and upper jaw that's the name Lefort, that's the one that had the um, metal screws out of my head. That is the medical term I was looking for. Flash forward to the summer of 2019 because we were going to Boston for a pre-checkup and to bury my Nana and Papa at Cape Cod. 
Then moving to August of 2019, after like two days of attending school, maybe two to three days of attending school, I then went back to Boston with my mom for my bone graft surgery. That's the same surgery that happened to me when I was in second grade. The surgeon went on my right side of my hip. To take out a piece of bone to put it in my top jaw again. Then fast forward into pandemic time. Oof, the worst. So we were supposed to get that bone graft removed because it was a dead bone that happened. And since pandemic was happening, we were like, oh no, we can't really go in like March or April because lockdown happened. So. Fast forwarding into June of 2020 is when I got my dead bone removed, and that's when I had a new bone graft happening. And where that one is completely different, where she took out the dead bone, and then a new set of two doctors came in and decided to take bone from my. Femur and also a little blood vessel or like vein or something, and hooked it up to the underside of my neck and chin kind of area, and that is still working today, thankfully. But I will say for that recovery, it was pretty dang long. Not as bad as two thousand fourteen, but it was just bad. Physically, because my leg is like so numb, and today I cannot go on my knees because if I do, my right kneecap is like numbed up, and it just like hurts. Moving forward to, I believe, March of twenty twenty one, yay, where I had my lip surgery. That was surprisingly really easy, except for the fact that I somehow got this random cough, and I was like, "What the heck is this?" And it's because of this like medicine that apparently happened when I was getting ready to go into surgery. I had this like new medicine called like sugar or something. I know it had the word sugar in the name of the medicine. And it just completely knocked me out, and somehow I guess before they were like about to roll me into surgery, I was awake and was talking. But I personally do not remember ever doing that. All I remember is once I had that new medication in, I immediately fell asleep, and I did not remember anything until I woke. And after the surgery, and after I was recovering, I just started coughing. Sadly, I do not remember what the coughing fit was called. I do know for a fact it wasn't a normal dry cough or a oh no, I got a cold cough. It was just something. And I went to the doctor once I came home, and she was just like, "Yeah," and she pressed on my chest. After I coughed, and she was like, "Yeah, this is it." And she's like, "Oh no, this is what I had." And apparently, I just somehow randomly got it. And the only thing to fix it was just to let it happen until it went away. 
Now, moving on to September 27th, I believe, of 2021, my last surgery, hallelujah. Hallelujah is the word. I said it wrong. Whoops. So, this one is my nose surgery. Now, this one was kind of really hard to go through. It wasn't that bad, but it was really hard.、Um, you know, I just needed to get my nose. Scar tissue fixed because inside my nostril there was like scar tissue, and I needed to get that room so that I could breathe again. And I wanted my nose to look thinner, but not too thinner. So he just narrow, narrowed it for me. And originally I wanted a nose bridge implant, but my mom said no because she didn't want me to get rid of my aging nose. Now, the healing process was kind of hard but kind of easy because my nose was just like bleeding because of the stints that were put up in my nose. And so I was there for quite a while, about like maybe a week or so, maybe like a week to two weeks. And he wanted my nose to really be set up really good. So, I got rid of the cast on top of my nose, which was so annoying because it kept puncturing my right eye because the cast was just like hitting the corner of my eye and it just like kept itching and it kept tearing up and it was so painful. So eventually, when I went home about like a month later into like November is when I got my stints out of my nose, and those were rubber, and those were so painful. Like, imagine all your nose hairs are being pulled from you so hard, and it's like it's not coming out. It's not coming out. It's just, you can feel them tugging and tugging and tugging, and you can kind of feel like the hairs just ripping out one by one by one. And it was so painful. I cried so much, and it was like really freaking stuck up there. Normally, you wouldn't have them like in that long, but he really wanted to make sure my nose was like good since I couldn't like stay there for like a long time, and I had to come back home. And we didn't want to go fly back up there again to get. This thing's removed, so clearly I had to have them in a lot longer than a typical person would have them in. And I realized I am never getting a nose job if I can possibly ever make that happen, unless I get a broken nose somehow, or maybe I need something in the future. But as of now, I do not want a nose job because I don't know. If it's just for me specifically, but all the videos that I watched on people having a nose job, they were like, "Oh yeah, it was perfectly fine." No, no, no. For me, that removal of the stints was so painful because it was just like glued straight up into my nostril. It was like hanging up there for dear life. And the doctor who like was getting rid of the nose stints was saying maybe we'll have to put her under because it was that that I was screaming and crying and pain. 
Going back to my 2014 surgery, I'm going to be talking a lot more exactly what happened in the recovery process. Obviously, I talk about my eating habits and my sleeping habits, but I'm going to talk more about my OCD and how that like happened throughout the years because obviously I talked more about my diagnosis that I've had. About my Lyme and stuff, but I was diagnosed with OCD, and my OCD was so bad. Thankfully, now it's gotten better, and I was never able to have the type of OCD that it kind of like made it hard to live, or like made it really hard to like leave the house. For me, my OCD was just more like, for example. When I'm washing my hands, I have to have three pumps of soap, six pumps of soap, or twelve or twenty-four if I like stepped in something really gross or something like that. I still have that. Um, I still have to have closed captions on the TV for watching movies and TV shows and music videos and YouTube videos if they are. There on YouTube, preferably I just still need to have them because I don't know why I just need them to have them on. It's not so bad where like if I don't have it, where it's like oh I can't watch it. It's more annoying for me. I'll watch it like in a award show or like something live, like Dancing with the Stars when it was on ABC. Another thing is that I had to. Wash knives and butter knives by hand, and if I didn't do that, I wouldn't think the world was going to end. It was just more like I have to do it or else. Like I don't know. Like there was no really or else. I just had to do it. And when I never got to do it, it wasn't like a big deal. Deal. I was just more like annoyed because I didn't get to do it type of thing. And that lasted quite a while. Luckily, I don't do that anymore. But it was kind of annoying to my family because the water would be running all the time, and then you know I would be wasting soap, as my sister would say. And for me, another thing is like. For me, it's still there. Is when we have like the sponge for the soap. For um, the dishes, I personally like to squeeze out all the soap and let it dry, and then when I use it, I use the hot water, and I don't ever put the soap on top of the sponge. I normally just use the sponge as it's wet with no soap to clean any pots or knives or any pans like or plates stuff like that. And once I'm done using it, I squeeze all the water back out and let it like sit and dry. And whenever it wasn't like that, I would always make sure I could squeeze out all the soap so that it wasn't like soaking, sopping wet with germs. And I may be wrong, but I personally thought if it's like wet and soaking. Whether or not it had soap on it, I still thought it was dirty and gross. And why would I use that to clean instead of just using a fully soaked, non-soapy sponge type of thing? I don't know why my brain kind of still thinks it is, but I think it is. But oh well, I could be completely 
wrong. Another thing I do not do, but I used to do, was write tons and tons of things, and it wasn't just like, oh, I'm writing like notes and stuff. It was like writing actors and actresses' names all the dang time. So if I was watching a movie or a TV show, I would. Click the info, and then I would go down to the cast, and then I would look at the cast members and out like if I liked their profile, <laughs> and if I wanted to know how old they were, and it didn't show when I clicked on their name, I would type up the TV show or movie's name, and then search up the cast, and search up their person's name, find their Instagram. Maybe see if they have a Twitter, you know. See if they're dating anyone. It got to the point where, like, I had written so many people's names that I had like this pretty big box. It wasn't filled all the way to the brim, but it was a lot of paper that I wrote people's names on, and I was gathering so much that at one point, I towards the end of. Doing that, I went through that box, and I was trying to see why I needed to search up their name, and if I kind of remember, or I was just like, "Well, she wouldn't let me throw the piece of paper away. I would just do it on my phone, and then I could be done with it." And ever since then, I really normally don't do that stuff anymore. Occasionally, I will search up the cast just because I'm curious. If it's somebody new and I've never heard of this person's name, and I'm like, "Oh wow, I really love this TV show or movie," and I just want to see if they have an Instagram. Now, the thing is that for some reason, ever since that surgery, I can no longer use metal utensils. Like I have to eat. Off of a fork or a spoon that is a plastic. I preferably like to use a plastic butter knife. In quotations, I don't know why. I just ever since that surgery, anytime I put a metal spoon or fork in my mouth, I just get the heebie-jeebies, and it literally pains me to use it. Now, if I am at a fancy restaurant, of course I will use the metal silverware. I will not ask for a plastic spoon, fork, or a knife, or whatever. Basically, I'm good. But typically, whenever I do that, I will most likely order fettuccine alfredo. And so when I order it and I end up eating the pasta, I will make sure all of the noodles get in my mouth. And to make sure the pork will not touch my tongue once all of the pasta is inside. Now I don't know if you would call this OCD. Maybe, probably. I am assuming so. So I don't do this anymore. But when I was going to my acting class the first year, every single Monday, because it was on a Monday. I would always wake up in the morning, like probably around like six or seven, around that time, listening to my radio show, and I will use my curling iron and I will curl my hair. I don't know what made me just decide to do it, and it just happened, and I just kept. Going with it. Now it wasn't like it was only when I went to my acting class. It wasn't every single Monday in general. 
the next thing was that I was obsessed with wearing fuzzy socks. It was to the point I think for like two or three years straight. I never took those damn socks off. I don't know what also possessed me to do that. I just really loved wearing fuzzy socks. And in the summer, when I had to go out and I couldn't wear boots, of course, I would wear my flip-flops. But I would go in the car, I'd take my fuzzy socks off. And then once I was done being outside in the world, I will put my fuzzy socks back on literally until i just randomly just stopped somehow and last thing i still do as of today it only happened like a few years ago randomly when i went into my freshman year of high school i just started thinking oh i'm gonna paint my nails red for the rest of the school year just because i ha loved the color red on my nails and i just had a bunch of you know polish anyways so i decided why not so i just continued doing it and then the following year as a sophomore i still kept doing it even when i was home and then as a junior i still kept doing it again and then as my in quotations senior year i finally got myself some gel nail polish and i've been doing that ever since and honestly i find it more easier to do it than using regular nail polish i hope you guys like this and i'll see you guys in the next one